0: If they're so focused on the nests and they neglect the tree, if that tree falls, their nest will go. It won't just be the nests on the other side of the tree or the poorer nests or or the nests lower down. It will be the whole lot. And it's helping people to understand that we need to nurture the tree.
1: Welcome to the Wild Minds podcast for people interested in health, nature based therapy and learning. We explore cutting edge approaches that help us improve our relationship with ourselves, others and the natural world. My name is Marina Robb. I'm an author, entrepreneur, forest school, outdoor learning and nature based trainer and consultant, and pioneer in developing green programs for the health service in the UK. You're listening to Episode 5, Mental Health, Emotional Regulation and the Natural World. My guest today on the Wild Minds podcast is Alison Roy. Alison has worked in mental health as a psychotherapist and counsellor for over 25 years, both in the NHS, the National Health System and in independent practice. She's particularly interested in the deep significance of early attachments and the impact of trauma and loss on the personality, and was co founder and previously the clinical lead for the CAMS, that's the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service, and East Sussex Specialist Adoption Service, AD CAMS. It was here that I met Alison and we developed a partnership that created nature based opportunities for young people. Allison has also written a book about adoption, A for Adoption, you can find the link on the show notes, and contributes regularly to the press and mainstream media. In this episode, we discuss how nature as our first home is part of a healthy mental health, how gratitude is not necessarily instinctive, metaphors that help us to understand ourselves, and that some children will only engage when they are physical so the need to be outside and move is paramount thank you so much for joining me this morning i'm so excited to be talking to you particularly around mental health and nature and what it means to be human and All the things that go on for us in life that are challenging and also really beautiful. So, welcome, Alison. Really good to have you here.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me. So,
1: I always like to start with this gratitude. And I know for some people it's a bit strange, but um, for me, it's something about just remembering something we're grateful for. So, if if that's okay, I'd love to. Well, I'll start and then I'll ask you if that's okay. So, for me, mm, I'm just so grateful that spring is is on its way with the change in uh, weather and the beginning emerging of plants and yeah
0: wonderful helps me and spring is amazing and I think the beauty of the natural landscape is such a gift and how can we not be grateful for all of that in terms of what nature provides for us I think too, to be able to have food on the table, to have friends, to have relationships, to have a home to live in, we, we are privileged. And I, I personally feel we shouldn't take any of that for granted. So there's a huge amount of gratitude, but I think gratitude can be complicated as well because you can't make people feel gratitude. It's, it's an important part of somebody's journey when you're feeling sad or when you feel empty or you feel that things have been taken away from you. It's a journey towards learning to be thankful and learning to find the things that you have in life. And other people can't decide that for you. So, yeah, I, I just, just to say it's, it's complicated that I, I feel gratitude but I've done a journey with it. <laughs> and and I think it's something that we can model and we can show all of the things that there are to be grateful for. But it's not yeah. something that everybody just instinctively feels. Well, that's
1: why I wanted to talk to you, because I, I knew immediately that here, here I am taking it for granted that people can just say that they're grateful and... I'm not surprised that you're reminding me that there's, there's always something else to consider and to be aware of. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. So what is a consultant child and adolescent psychotherapist? What, what do you do? What do you get up to? Or What have you been doing? Yeah, a lot of people might not really understand that. I certainly get confused between psychologists and psychiatrists
0: and psychotherapists. What is that? It's so nice to have the chance to explain. So thank you. Um, Well, it's a very long training. That's the first answer. And psychotherapy, which is a, a psychoanalytic training. So it's about working with the unconscious and understanding how the mind works in ways that aren't visible or completely obvious. So when you're working with a child, a lot of your training is about understanding those unconscious communications. And children communicate through their play and they communicate about their lives and their stories so often through their behaviour and through their play. So it's a lengthy training because we as child psychotherapists have to understand our own stories and journeys and make sense of all of that alongside making sense of other people's stories. And the trouble is that there's a lot of disturbed and distressed children have very painful stories, and it takes a lot of courage and awareness of your own pain and difficulties in order to be able to help children make sense of those stories. Children are truth-tellers. They yeah. may tell stories, they may be creative, they may tell little fibs in order to get out of something yeah. difficult. But they really know the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and and we need to help children with their truths about their lives and help them understand the difficult things. Most children are okay if their adults are okay. So yeah. part of being a child psychotherapist is being okay with the things that are really painful and difficult and not okay. And having the training and the work on yourself to be able to go to really dark and distressing places and help a child with that. So in in terms of my role in the NHS, I was helping children understand some very difficult, complicated things that had happened to them. That they couldn't make sense of and a lot of the adults around them couldn't make sense of but part of my role was also helping people who were helping children <laughs> with their feelings and difficulties so it's also working with parents it's also working with the professional network and trying to help people think together and work together which can be very difficult when you're working with trauma mm. um because people go off in different directions and have their own ideas and want to fix things in their own way or find it very difficult to think and feel, um, and and they need help with that. So it's, it's a pretty complicated role, but that that's an overview, Marina. Yeah, and it makes me
1: think a lot as a facilitator myself of different groups and different ages, And not being a psychotherapist or a therapist, that is so important, isn't it, to be aware of what is going on for you. And even if we're not working Mm. at the level that you're describing, we are working with the whole person and things come up. And and actually, no doubt, we all have to be able to either get support through supervisor or, or have somebody to help us or indeed the other, which we're going to talk about, which might be the natural world and, and and have to help us have an awareness of ourselves, really, and to kind of notice what comes up for us and perhaps our stories. Um, so it yeah. seems very, very important that that reflective aspect to your work and to anyone's work, I think, working with young people or people, would you say? Yeah,
0: yeah i mean it's having the capacity to be self aware
1: right
0: and having the capacity to think uh, it's interesting because we all think that we think <laughs> um but i think often we forget to think and we only have to look at world leaders when we think about the environment and the natural world and and some of the what we would perhaps say those of us who spend time in the natural world and value it would say is a no-brainer in terms of treasuring those resources and if you think about it it feels uncomfortable but it leads to change those uncomfortable feelings are necessary in terms of our thoughts and our understanding and our awareness of the world around us and others and we become more responsible human beings because we allow ourselves some of that discomfort and and I think that's where we go wrong, as a society. Sometimes is we we forget to think, and because we don't want to come into contact with our uncomfortable feelings, so we do what we can to avoid them, and that takes us round or down a fairly dangerous path at times. In mm. mental health, it does, and I think it it does for the world.
1: Mm. I wasn't going to go there straight away but I did speak to a, a young woman <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I did speak to a young woman um yesterday and she said I think we're at war with nature and she said and she said to me but I think that's because we're at war inside ourselves mm. and I thought and mm. I and I I had to just sit with that because um I have my own understanding of what she meant by that. Yeah. But she was actually feeling something quite emotional and quite deep that she, she was, she was, well, I thought she expressed it very well, actually. This kind of
0: Mm, how what was going on.
1: Yeah. How what was going on in her was Mm. seems to be reflected in the way we're treating the others uh, when I, and in that case she was also talking about the situation in Ukraine but also the natural world and I think that's something of what you're describing how our inner worlds actually do um, really affect our behaviours and the way we relate to other people and also the, the wider world in this case the natural world.
0: It's possible as well that because we've lived through a pandemic, you and I, and others listening to this podcast, that human beings have moved deeper into survival mode, which can be a very selfish way of being and can feel like war because it's every man, woman, and child for themselves when you're properly in survival mode. And yet, actually, what we need is to work together not be against each other at war but to work alongside each other and build a community so that we can fix these problems together. So it's it's really quite upsetting, not only for young people, but for those of us who try and integrate systems to see so much. I'm doing this with my hands, but you won't be able to see it on the podcast, (laughs) pulling apart and crashing into each other when we're all on the same side or could be working Mm. together to understand ourselves and our world better and I think for young people who are still in touch with truth (laughs) um that's very distressing to experience that the the tug and pull of different competing agendas and it's really hard for them when you know it's it's even getting to the point and I didn't want to be really political but it's getting to the point where speaking the truth could become illegal. You know, it's not even just about protesting and marching, even just having a voice that's different to our leaders might in no time at all start to become threatening to the state. And and I think that's where young people are struggling to know how on earth to get their voices heard and to talk about their feelings. Well I I
1: I think them and us too, um it's hard it is hard I think we can often well I can often struggle with how to express what I'm feeling and to find the the way to speak that doesn't create conflict so it's a big it's definitely a it's not an easy thing and it's something that that takes a lot of time I, I want to ask you because I know that at least some of your career I don't know how how um many years but you have been deeply involved in working with young people that have been adopted. And um, one of the things I'm really curious about is, we you've mentioned to me in previous conversations that we've had about how nature can be the first home. And I wonder mm. what it's mm. like. What, what, what would you say about young people and their experience of being adopted and, and where? you think this relationship to nature can come in and hopefully be a relationship that's supportive.
0: I mean, it also links to gratitude because on the face of it, why should an adopted person feel gratitude towards their adopters? And society thinks they should, but they have been deprived, even if they've been given a beautiful home with loving parents, They've been deprived of their first landscape, the, the person whose heartbeat they would have known, whose voice they would have known in the womb, who they would have felt prepared for meeting, and they've been taken away from that person, and, and it's, well, it's a primal wound, but it's it's a primary loss that they're never going to completely recover from on one level, because that has been taken away from them. And And that's where the word gratitude is complicated, because society expects them to be grateful because they've been given something. And why should they be? But that's where the natural world is so helpful, because it's such a leveller. When they can take a group of adopted young people who feel different, who feel excluded and have to cover up those feelings for all kinds of reasons, because they don't want to stand out as being different, but they feel different. They've lost the the people they should have been connected to when you get into the natural world and you say we all come from here we all have calcium we all have stardust in our bones we all came we all originated from this place this is our first beginnings and we're all the same when we're in the natural world we all came from here we all have this is our inheritance, all of us. You know, <laughs> we all have a connection with the natural world, and it's so moving because it's mind blowing for some of these young people who have felt so different and so disconnected. To feel the earth beneath their feet, um, to all one of the things we do, as you know, Marina, is we do a night walk in the dark. And I haven't done one of these for a while since I left the adoption project but it's something I'd like to do again in terms of getting young people out into the outdoors. But us as leaders are in the dark as well. None of us have torches and we all have to follow someone who knows the terrain. And it's terrifying because we're all in the dark and we're all finding our way. And there are bumps and turns and bogs and various things and, and, and screechy owls and all kinds of things. But we're all on, do you know, we're all on this journey of life in the dark, in a way, and we're all on it together. And once you help young people who've had the, such a severance, such a loss, understand that that we're all alone, however much we pretend on social media that we're having the best life ever, <laughs> and we're so deeply connected to so many people, we're all alone, and we all have to practice those lonely feelings and phones and social media never take those away in fact they can accentuate them so being out in the natural world and being together and all admitting that truth to each other that we all feel lonely sometimes and that we're all in the dark just trying to find our way um is is incredibly uplifting and connecting for people who've been adopted but for all of us actually
1: This is a call out to all you educators and health practitioners. Are you ready to revolutionize your career with outdoor learning? Don't let your practice become stale. You could be depriving your students or clients of life-changing outdoor experiences. Envision a world of possibilities, masterclasses, 120 instructional videos, and year-long session plans all accessible at theoutdoorteacher.com slash certificate. Enhance your career and embark on an extraordinary learning journey today. And lastly, if you're based in the UK, why not immerse yourself in nature with one of my transformative trainings in the beautiful landscapes of Sussex? Discover more about our in-person courses at circleofliferediscovery.com. Well, that makes me think of just, it isn't loneliness now in Western worlds, the greatest killer, which I find really hard to get my head around sometimes. It's like, why is that killing us? You know, why is that killing us? What do you make of that, Marina? Well, I guess, I guess it's because I have a sense that we need each other and we need we live, we, you know, mm. that relationships is so mm. important. That actually, we yes, we need a relationship with ourselves, but we can't. That's not enough. I guess I, I I'm taking mm. from that that isn't enough. I mean, I I make that's what I make of it. That um, so somewhere, if you're on your own and you you lose this feeling that you've got these, I love this phrase, ropes of connection. Uh, The Bushmen talk about that, you know, where they, Mm. well, the visual, the image I've got is this idea of almost these threads coming out from us, which they would say they are there, but I can't see them. But these ideas that we have these connections, these ropes of connections, as they describe it, to to everything, you know, to other humans, to the trees, to the sun, to the earth, to all these things. And I guess if you can't feel that, well, if we've already mentioned it, perhaps it's loss. It's a sense of loss and emptiness and no meaning. So I can say that I can answer that in the way that I yeah. have heard you question me about it. But, but I still. Yeah, I guess I have answered it. <laughs> yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it'd be helpful to bring my book in a bit. I, I've written a book all about adoption, um, and it's called A for Adoption. But I write quite a lot in there about the need for community and the need for having like minded people. You won't find people who are the same because we're all different. <laughs> um, but you will, it, the need for each of us to have other people we can share our experiences with and for adoptive parents to come together and and communicate with each other and share their experiences and find a community was transformative and and almost better than any therapy that I could provide but worked really well alongside therapeutic interventions. And I I think that's what we've lost so much is a sense of community where we value our old people, where we value difference, where we don't see it as threatening, and we have a place for everyone, and we can learn from each other. I mean, I've been rebuked at times for organising things. I'm, I'm a parent, and I don't share this openly because this is about me. But there are times when I take over a little bit, and I'll organise things for my teenager, <laughs> um, because you know, and it's a modern. It's a modern myth that teenagers should be completely left to their own devices to organize everything. They are perfectly capable of making friends and hanging out with the people they want to hang out with. But they need to be taught inclusivity. Mm. That's not something they do naturally. If you want your child to include others that may feel left out and that they'll benefit from that, not just the person who is left out, you have to model that and you have to help them do it. And that's where I'm prepared to be a bit bossy. Because if I notice that certain children often are included in the WhatsApp or that there's one group that always hang out and, and immediately the message is, you're not one of us. <laughs> that's Ooh. not okay for children. And that, that's where children need to see their adults, not modeling cliques and hanging out with the same people, but modeling a sense of community and making sure that everyone feels connected. And and I don't think social media has helped with that either. Mm.
1: But that brings up, I mean, it made me think of a recent situation. And because it's a podcast, I'd better be clear it's not names because it will come back at me um, yeah, with yeah. this feeling, this this uh, one of the, because I also have a teenager. And, um, you know, that what was shared was that I don't like this other Person, I don't want to be, um, I don't want this person in my group, and I guess there was part of me. Well, I did think it's okay to express that, so yeah, so I'm hearing I want to just check that. So we want to, there's a sense of community, but there's also something about yeah. being honest, isn't there? Because there's something as well about being nice and in and and the niceness not being real, and I know you know that because part of what we've already described is being aware of our own challenges and our shadows and the things that we do yeah inside our heads too so what would you say about that H- how do we how do we be truthful and how do we encourage our children and ourselves to be honest but whilst keeping this community
0: yeah well there's a difference between community and inclusivity and accepting bad behavior yeah. If somebody is a bully, for example, and they are mean and they exclude and they do hurtful things, that doesn't mean you have to go up and be nice to them and and treat them as if they're someone special. Um, but it it if you if everybody is working with the same rules and and being a community, the group will handle those people. <laughs> And you don't handle them by excluding them. You ha- the group handles them together. If if it's left to one child because their mother is a bit bossy or happens to be a psychotherapist or makes them <laughs> include then that's not you know, that's not fair. But but if if lots of parents are encouraging inclusivity rather than exclusivity, then yeah. children learn to manage. Those other children, and they they learn to teach them things which they need to be taught with parental support. and And it doesn't mean that your child has to make a best friend out of somebody who's excluded because nobody else wants to be friends with them. But if the group do things well, then they will manage those difficulties. And that child needs to learn a lesson or two, not just by being completely excluded and ignored. I feel like I need to
1: take a deep breath because going into the subject of inclusivity or exclusivity is is a very necessary and powerful conversation because it's it's everywhere, isn't it? It's what we have Mm. access to, what we don't have access to, all the privileges that you just what you said. I feel privileged um, when you entered this podcast, and that
0: has afforded you. I am privileged.
1: Yeah, you are privileged and I am, I am. privileged. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that affords us power, doesn't it? Um,
0: yeah.
1: As well. And how we how we work with that power is also very important, I think, in the subjects you're just touching on. You know, how, do we use that power to create community or do we use that power to, to break
0: up community
1: mm. and, and, and I guess I'm wanting to turn the conversation a little bit to our natural world um and mm. to think about well in a way how are we using our power at the moment to include the living world the non-human world in our decisions in in our policies, in our education, in our health system, in our psychotherapy, in our everyday lives. And
0: yeah.
1: I know that you've spoken to me about how nature has taught you so many things about health and illness. And mm. how has that happened for you? How, how has that shown up? Has nature shown up for you? And what are some of the teachings or lessons that it's bestowed with you or on you or yeah, on your
0: journey? Well, it I mean the, the, the short answer is I I've learned so much about a part of myself I didn't know was there through the natural world. And and how important our instinct is. And for example, walking through the woods, which which in this country is relatively safe. But I recently spent some time in the states where you know that that I was walking in a woods on my own with a dog, where there might have been wild animals, and your feelings and your instinct is so important for your survival. It's no good if you're walking through a jungle and you sense that you've heard something, and you just completely ignore it because you don't want to feel uncomfortable and you don't want to engage with any sense of threat. It's that sense of threat that's going to keep you safe and get you to the other side. (laughs) But then if you get completely paralyzed by this sense of threat and risk, you're just gonna freeze and become overwhelmed. So the natural world can really help us regulate and teach us things about our feelings in that we learn to listen to signs and signals my hear when I'm spending time in the natural world, my hearing gets better, my eyesight gets better my my sense of touch and taste and smell improves and and I feel more human so what what we have done in the past, you and I when we've worked with a group of young people who are completely soaked in toxins is one way of describing it is we remove as many of those contributing difficulties factors as we can when we bring them into the natural world so we take away their phones we take away headphones we take away any weapons they might have brought along (laughs) um any kind of paraphernalia anything that they might use as some kind of a prop but also an avoidance of feeling and knowing their self and it doesn't mean that phones are all bad but there there are certain times when it's very really helpful to be able to listen to other things and I think the natural world has taught me to listen as a psychotherapist I thought I was a good listener but if you don't listen really hard when you're out in the natural world you miss things and I, I think we've taught ourselves not to notice the signs, for example, when a storm is coming or um, the the trees are looking different or the birds are making a strange noise. What's that about? Mm-hmm. Even just to be able to question it teaches us something. And and sure enough, and we see a fox or something or a massive bird of prey swooping down over the horizon. The birds saw it first. So I mm-hmm. love that saying the birds saw it first and <laughs> i think we you know we need to listen to nature because they see it first and they'll tell us and we can learn so much about humanity and the world around us if we listen
1: it makes me remember sitting around a fire um with the children and young people and again going back to that community sense and darkness behind us but the warmth around the fire and
0: Mm.
1: i guess that's in our our dna in our ancestors and and it's hard to describe i often think these these things when we start talking about the natural world and what it what what the different uh living beings can teach us or or help us to feel it's hard to describe it because it doesn't have to be intellectual or rational or, or scientific it's it's something that arises and yeah it, it, mm. being around a fire and just being it, it just made me remember really those conversations that I know wouldn't have yeah. happened in a room or anywhere yeah. else and and it does facilitate yeah in such a profound way
0: it really does Marina but what What else I have found remarkable in those sitting round the fire moments or even walking through the woods in the dark is how healthy these apparently unhealthy, mentally ill young people are. And I do wonder if they are a barometer for society, just like nature is. The number of referrals I get from parents who are absolutely clear that their child is the one with the problem, <laughs> and it's not to minimise the child's problem, but I nearly always say, well, can I meet with you first as parents and just get a sense of the story and where you're at and what's going on in your life? Because it, it can often be the healthy child <laughs> that exhibits the unhealthy symptomology. Um, and it's not about blame, but the the child is a very good communicator of distress, mm. just as nature is. And when we get children and young people round a campfire and they communicate, they give us such wisdom. You know, they teach us so much and it it's a real privilege to be in their company. And I'm often left feeling, well, oh, gosh, they, they really know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. They've really taught me a thing or two. And yet we place them in these environments that bring out these very unhealthy behaviours and distress. So whose problem is it, I, I suppose, is what I'm asking too sometimes. What do, what do we need to be learning from this? Um, yeah, and I and I'm. I don't have any answers, Marina, but it, it's helped me ask more questions. Well,
1: you you don't have any answers, and yet we we know that both of us feel that at least some time to, to give young people some time to have these experiences is important. I mean, for me, I would love to see it as a regular part of let's say education you know because as you've described when young people and I always think well hang on I'm also I'm also the same just a fair bit older um when I'm given that different environment that different context whether that's a fire or more space then I'm I can um express different aspects of myself because i really liked hearing what you said that often when we have when we when children come outdoors they get to express a different aspect of themselves that's often not revealed absolutely not revealed in a classroom setting in in some cases and we're Mm. kind of missing the wholeness of what it is to be a human and the different aspects of ourselves Um, because, yeah, because we to, to live a fulfilling life, it's certainly not just about the success, the outside success of getting the grades and, you know, then the outside success mm. of having a great job. And, you know, we do need to have some of these things. But yeah. being obsessed by that, having a whole culture that is driven on these outer external idea of what is successful it's pretty hardcore yeah. isn't it because ma- not many of us are going to get that <laughs> so where does yeah. it leave Where does it leave us and, and we already said we're privileged so we're already up the up the ladder but i'm talking about the rest of mm. all of you know mm. humanity you know um
0: yeah gosh oh, well was... i mean that <laughs> that that says it all really but it, it just reminds me of the young young people who describe themselves as rejects, which yeah, you know, which is just very painful and powerful because they don't fit. And because they're not going to match someone else's version of success. What are we doing to our young people if that's how they're left feeling? Everyone has strengths and resources. And I, I see adults too in my private practice as not just children, but it's, it, it isn't just children that feel this pressure to succeed or to fit or to look a certain way or be a certain way. And their absolute fear of being lost and, and rejected. And that what changes people and what helps people thrive is the quality of relationships. So if our education is becoming more and more focusing on ticking of boxes and meeting targets and not on building relationships, that would explain some of why we're seeing such an increase in anxiety, in non-school attenders, in high levels of distress and depression. And
1: school attenders, that's the thing. It's not just the people that are that are exhibiting, you know, more extreme distressed behaviour. It's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it seems to it's be there so in much the more nor- yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's everywhere. So in terms of relationships in yeah. terms of the relationship to the natural world, do you think um if it is our first landscape, that we do need to give young people and ourselves the opportunity to develop that more in our society. Is that something you think is, we should
0: be doing? Definitely. Yeah, most definitely. But Marina, we, I need to be careful how I say this. We need to get the men involved. We really need to get the men involved. We need to get fathers. We need to get male leaders Regardless of sexuality or um role in society, we don't we don't have enough men in powerful places who really get the value of the natural world. and it's become I think so caricatured and limited as the the realm of motherhood <laughs> and it's what it's what women do when they play in the woods with children. Rather than if we don't get to grips with our natural world, we're going to lose it. And we're going to lose a lot of our business, our ability to connect with other countries. We're going to lose a great deal of what makes me who I am, my potency as a man. And, And unless men engage with a different version of potency in the modern world, and begin to really value the natural landscape. There are men, obviously, that do, but I don't think we have enough of our powerful male leaders who really take it seriously. And so they don't model that, and we haven't got that coupling then, the idea of a parental couple <laughs> working together to provide a healthy space. Um, so perhaps it's not just the men, but it, it's it. I I see... Men treat it as if, or oh, you know, a bit of forest bathing, or it's not something I really need to engage in. And the men who do really engage with this, and who who really work alongside us, I, they have such an important role in communicating with other men mm. about the natural world. And I'd really like to see more fathers engage with their children in the natural world. And maybe we need to do more to make that happen. But at the moment, I think it's so easy to just disregard it as as something that a bit fluffy, a bit um, as an optional extra, even in schools, in terms of forest school, rather than there are some children that will only really engage with learning when they're physical, when they're out in the natural world. And if we don't do this for them, We're missing a real opportunity to help them thrive. That was a bit of a lecture there, Marina. Well,
1: no, 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 it doesn't, it it just leads to more questions, really. And, you know, I have a great Mm. wondering and and absolutely think it's important that all our leaders, um, you know, male or female, I want to see leaders being able to be more reflect more my everyday experience of course I do and I don't understand yeah. why um this deeper understanding or or relation relationship with the natural world isn't being valued beyond what we can get from it or or a kind of survival thing actually like you were saying you yeah. know if, if it if it feels like we have to do it for our survival then maybe we would do it mm. um rather than understanding for me this kind of the to and fro of this relationship that, that, that we it's not just the inter you know that that we we need a healthy environment to be healthy but this 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 in and out of re, uh, this relational um quality to the natural world that brings so much to us um that, yeah. that isn't about what yeah. we have and don't have you know so i yeah i mean obviously i'm i want to see it as an intrinsic part of our developmental yeah. rights if you like <laughs> um, absolutely we have to come you have to we have to come and have to come back to talking more about power and perhaps this to dive into what we mean
0: by that and i look forward to that maybe an analogy that works is thinking about the tree that if you imagine there's a lot of different nests in the tree if, if people are completely focused, for example, like our political leaders perhaps, on feathering their own nests and making sure that their nests are as comfy and as well-resourced as possible, and they feel quite pleased with themselves because their nests are good compared to some of the nests on the other side of the tree who may not be as well-resourced and as comfy, if they're so focused on the nests and they neglect the tree If that tree falls, their nest will go. It won't just be the nests on the other side of the tree or the poorer nests or or the nests lower down. It will be the whole lot. And it's helping people to understand that we need to nurture the tree. You know, that there's this environment, it sounds a bit hippie, but it's real, we're we're all, all a part of. The natural world whether we live in a tower block or whether we're camping out in a tent we, it's it's it connects us all and we need to find ways as as a wider bigger community it's the bigger picture of nurturing the tree and checking the roots and providing for this tree that has provided for us for so long
1: wonderful what a fantastic set of images to leave us with and I do want to ask you one more question um, before we before we end which is really about your younger self and wondering wondering you know what advice you would give to the the younger Alison May it doesn't have to be a a teenage Alison it might be a just a a 20 year old Alison but if there's some nuggets out there what, what 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 would be some advice to your younger self growing up in the world that we're in now
0: the main thing i would say is don't be afraid just don't don't be afraid you know that there, there are things that that maybe we we can learn to be fearful of for good reason like the open sea or climbing a mountain you know making sure you prepare well prepare well <laughs> But don't be afraid of being who you are. Use your voice. Use the life that you've been given and really make the most of those resources. Don't hold back to please others. No one's going to do it for you. It doesn't mean that you have to be arrogant and headstrong, but don't be afraid. Thank you so much. And with
1: that, I'm going to say goodbye.
0: Bye, Marina.
1: Thanks again for speaking to me, Alison. Join me next week as I take a closer look at some things that could help us and young people's mental health. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wild Minds podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to help support this podcast, please subscribe, share and leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will help others find the show. To stay updated with the Wild Minds podcast and get all the behind the scenes content, you can visit theoutdoorteacher.com or follow me on Facebook at The Outdoor Teacher UK and LinkedIn, Marina Rob. The music was written and performed by Jeff Robb. See you next week. Same time, same place. Curious about the guitar music in my podcast? It's actually my husband, Jeff Rob. He's taking his woodland-inspired show, The Music of Trees, on tour in England and Wales this May, June, and July. Get tickets at jeffrob.com/shows.